Welcome to Made for Profit, a podcast where we talk business in the shop and help you monetize as a maker. Each week we cover business topics to help you grow your full-time business or your side hustle. We'll also bring you interviews from a variety of people winning in their space to share valuable business insights and life lessons. I'm Brad Rodriguez, a full-time content creator running FixThisBuildThat.com, and my co-host John Malecki runs a full-time furniture company and his content site, JohnMalecki.com. We've been growing our successful businesses online, and we want to bring you into the conversation and help you grow along with us. Welcome to episode 60. You put in the time, you take the leap to get in front of the camera, you publish your first YouTube video, and then you just wait for the views to roll in. And wait. And wait. And wait. Getting views and growing on YouTube is a lot harder than it sounds. Uh, John and I have been publishing on YouTube for almost three years now, and we have learned a ton along the way. So today we're going to talk about all the things that have helped us grow, as well as some of the recent trends that we're seeing. And the new metric that might be the most important thing that we think YouTube is telling us right now. So stay tuned for that. But before we get into it, uh, we do want to thank our new members that joined the MFP Patron Tribe this week. Uh, We had quite a few this week. We had Brian Warner, Bill Lewis, Anthony Scott of 1350 Design, Sean Daniels, and JP Brown. Thank you guys so much for joining. Uh, If you want to support the show and get some awesome rewards, you can head over to patreon.com forward slash made for profit and get access to the after show. John, welcome back from vacation, brother. Thank you. Thank you very much. It is nice to get back into some semblance of a rhythm. As you know, I'm a very um, regimented human and the (laughs) the flying to Joshua Tree for a week and then coming back and then going straight to vacation. I had a couple other little things sprinkled in before that. Man, has it had me in a tizzy, Um, but I'm glad to be home. I am uh, catching up on a lot of work right now in the office as well as at my house. Uh, I've got some house stuff going on that is backed up and uh, I have timelines on those. So I'm getting a few things done there. If you guys are following me on Instagram, probably saw me tear my fireplace to pieces. Yeah, uh, I saw that. That was crazy. (laughs) And yeah, I'm glad to be a dust dust mushroom cloud. Oh my goodness, dude. (laughs) So so, uh, briefly, before we get into it, I have a uh, 100-year-old traditional four square in the city of Pittsburgh. I tore the fireplace off, which had um, plaster on the front of it. They had a, it had a concrete facade that was fake bricks, right? It looked like brick. So I go to take it off, assuming it's brick and mortar. It's not. It's a single cast piece of concrete. And it nice. probably weighed close to 600 pounds. Um, and knowing me, you know, I can pretty much pick up anything I need to and move it around if I need to do that. I took this thing off the front of the fireplace and it just came tumbling down on the floor. Um, I safely got it down on the ground, but I couldn't pick it up, and move it out of the house. So I had to smash it to pieces in my living room, carry it out that way. And then I took all the plaster off and it was just a dust bowl. So um, I got all that done, but I'm doing a project on refinishing a fireplace and doing a mantle, um, which should be awesome. Nice. But I have to get that done before my uh, new roommate slash girlfriend moves in uh, because her furniture is coming into the house. So I am squeezed to the max right now. Between that, you know, getting some stuff done for the show, I've got uh, my last client job to deliver, and I got a project to get edited and get out this week. So, wild week of catch up, but I'm welcome ex- back. Excited to be back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude. Uh, and you've got a so lot going on too. I do have a lot going on as well. I've, I am um, working on the other end. I am working to get ready before vacation. So we're going to be hitting vacation in a couple of weeks. 
uh, going down, spending a little beach time uh, down in Florida. So super excited about that. Uh, now that Susan is full time with the business, uh, we, you know, the vacation schedule, I know. I don't know if I've announced that, but yeah, my wife, I think I have. But uh, anyway, my, my wife is now full time with the business. And um, so we're just like, yeah, we're yanking the kids out of school and going on vacation. <laughs> yeah. She was a teacher last year, so we couldn't do that. And they're uh, like third weekend, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. We're like, oh, welcome to school. Let's go. Uh, but yeah, man, I, and I am just uh, riding the high from the wireless charging desk. That was Woo! my first my first viral video, if you want to call it that. Uh, and it's been super exciting. Um, I'm sure that'll come up in some of the topic today. Uh, but that's been fun. And uh, I just finished up my first bowl on the lathe. I did a segmented bowl and, uh, you know, threw some epoxy in there for good measures because uh, everybody loves epoxy or loves to hate epoxy uh, either way. Uh, but uh, yeah, I'm also jumping into a remodel. So I'm doing the, uh, or I guess yours is not quite a full remodel. I'm doing a remodel on Instagram. I was just documenting ripping everything out. So I'm going all the way to the studs on the on the tub, floor, vanity, toilet, mirror, the lighting, shower tub surround, the whole nine, and ripping it all out and putting uh, new stuff back in. So super excited for that. And I'm trying to get that done before we head out on vacation. So yeah, getting some of the fix this part of the fix this build that exactly, man, I'm, I'm trying to expand, expand what we're doing and doing more of the home DIY and the smart home. So it's, it's fun. It's fun. We'll see how it gets received, but I've gotten a ton of great feedback on Instagram and the DMS like, Oh my gosh, like I'm, I'm so excited to see you do this. I want to see what you do. And because it's a really small bathroom. And so a lot of people are like, yeah, I don't, you know, you never see people do small bathrooms because it's not that sexy, like, you know, HDTV never shows small bathrooms. They always mm-hmm. show these, you know, they're making it into a 20 by 20, like yeah. <laughs> luxury so, spa. This, <laughs> this bathroom suite that just so happens to be in this, you know, 200 year old home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So that'd be it's awesome. Like five by six in front of the shower. So you could touch every, very every wall. Just stand Basically, there and touch yeah. every wall. Yeah, you could for sure. <laughs> so, yeah. So YouTube, man, I, I know like, we were going back and looking and, um, we're like, when was the last time we talked about YouTube? And we went all that as a main show topic. Uh, it was all the way back in episode 14. Mm-hmm. I feel like I feel like we've done a disservice to ourselves and, <laughs> and the audience. Like, you know, this is like the thing that we spend the most time on. And uh, we have not hit on it as a main show topic in a long time. So we wanted to hit it. And uh, we're going to start with, uh, you know, this is kind of some of the basics. I think that last one was getting started on YouTube. And I know we did talk about some of those things, but we really want to talk about is growing on YouTube. And uh, we get so many questions about that uh, through the patrons and and just through the Facebook group and everything. Um, yeah. So think how we're going to break it down, right? Is like, we'll, we'll look at some of the basics of like, what makes good YouTube content, talk a little bit about the numbers and then some about the promoting off platform too, which I know we've talked about, but we'll kind of hit on that again, because things have changed a bit. Yeah. I mean, it was ironic. We were looking for uh, questions for this after show and uh, Tim Woodward, our, 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 one of our great patrons um, asked, you know, Hey, did I miss something or have we not talked about YouTube in a long time? <laughs> so uh, shout out to Tim for suggesting this as well as you and I talking last week while I was on vacation about this absolute ridiculous spike that you're having on your channel as we sit here and record. Um, and what better time to talk about, you know, what's going on on that platform than right now. So, um, so yeah, so, so good stuff. So jumping into the basics, um, 
there's a there's a lot that goes into producing on YouTube, and I definitely do suggest checking out uh, episode 14 where we get into getting started. But what we're going to focus on here is a little more of the tactical aspects of getting started, um, how you and I approach it and how um, we look at the video production side of the businesses. So with that, you know, the, the first basic we want to jump into is the thumbnail. Um, and a lot of you may think that the thumbnail is an afterthought in the context of what's going on with your video. You may believe that the video content itself is uh, the number one most important aspect of the basic video production, but (laughs) we tend to believe um, and we know for a fact that the thumbnail definitely holds more weight than the video itself. (laughs) Um, So getting that combo too, right? It's the thumbnail title combo. And the whole reason is Nobody can see your content if they don't click. If it. they don't click on the yeah. thumbnail, <laughs> so uh, this was like a this was a difficult concept for me to understand. Uh, still, kind of is just because we all get so caught up in the actual build itself. You know, while you're going through the process and you're trying to make this beautiful project, whether it's for yourself or for a client, whomever it might be for, um, you tend to not think about how. Uh, to create a visually pleasing thumbnail for other people to see or what might be enticing in um, in line on YouTube itself. So that's kind of how you need to get your brain rocking and rolling there. And, and I'll touch on thumbnails here real quick with, um, you know, the, the, basically the way I look at it is how can I best uh, showcase the project of what I'm doing Um, and make that something that people are going to want to stop scrolling and click on. Um, And in my mind, you know, making it as clean and vibrant as possible, uh, making sure the shot, whether I'm doing a coffee table or a process, uh, something like my that router flattening jig that I just did, how can I make this something that is easily telling the story of what's happening in the video as well as jump out at you um, and make sure that you, you're noticing the action I want you to notice and not specifically what's act, what's happening all around. Um, so, you know, some things you, you're going to want to consider here is um, for final product projects, uh, you want to consider thumbnails to be sort of in like the beauty shot realm. Um, you know, where would you showcase these items if they were being sold or if they were in a uh, brochure or if you were, you know, trying to show them off on your Instagram feed, for instance, you want them to be clear um, and distinctly standing apart from your background. This is a difficult part of developing thumbnails for beginners. Uh, I, me knowing this as going through it is getting your uh, subject of your thumbnail to not be sitting in your shop. Essentially, you don't want it on your workbench, and you don't want it to be um, having the clutter of the background of your shop in it. Um, some people may argue that differently because they've seen success with thumbnails that aren't like that. But on a consistent basis, you will see high performing videos in our space do very, very well if it has a standalone subject in the thumb. Right. And I think part of that is uh, and there are, you know, so what we're going to talk about, uh, we are going to talk about generalities today. And, you know, there there's tons of instances where you can go in and we'll talk about probably some of those uh, that defy what we're saying. And, and that's fine and true. Uh, you know, it still is up to you that the whole idea, no matter what you do, and you can, you can win with a tight shot. You can win with a wide shot. You can win with, uh, all kinds of different things. But the, the whole idea is like what John said, is that it, it's a scroll stopper is what I like to call it, right? You're scrolling through there. Uh, we are in that just, you know, low attention span, digital age, 
where you do it on your Instagram feed. It's the same idea. And I what would highly recommend is going back. And uh, we talked about this a lot in the photography um, series that we did, is that you want something that's just going to jump out and and grab somebody's attention. And in a lot of those, what we see, especially on Instagram, that works really well are, are the beauty shots. And that does translate over to YouTube. But um, so some of those things that are going to be really important is, is what John's saying is, is your background and not just the, you know, having a clean and decluttered background, but also the contrast. Because one thing that I used to do is, you know, if, if I'm shooting something that's warm on a warm background, uh, it kind of gets lost, right? So you want high contrast. You want, you want that to be able to digest. And so here's another thing that I, that I fell victim to John. And, I, and ever since I started doing this, I feel, I feel like my thumbnail game, at least like the way it, what I pay attention to has gotten a lot better is don't edit it full screen on your 27 inch monitor, right? <laughs> yes. Because nobody looks at a thumbnail full screen on a 27 inch thumbnail. Like it's, it's called a thumbnail for a reason. Uh, I usually edit mine. I do mine at 1920 by 1080. Uh, even though, uh, I think the actual largest it is, is like 1028 by 720 or whatever that one is. Um, but I, I do it at one, the view that I do a lot is one sixteenth. So one to 16, which in Lightroom, you can do the little selections. Uh, so I like to view it at one to 16, which is about the same size that I would see it uh, on my on my monitor uh, if I'm scrolling through my homepage on YouTube. And then I also will send it to my to my cell phone. And so I'll look at that and I'll see how it looks, because if you're looking at your cell phone in portrait mode, uh, if you're scrolling through YouTube homepage, that is how it will show up. So you'll see it in uh, if you're holding it portrait, it'll show up landscape. So that those are always two good things is is make sure you're viewing it uh, how it's going to be consumed and does it jump out at you the same amount that it does you're not going to see any of those details that you're going to see on a on a widescreen and that's something that took me a while to to realize yeah and that leads into like the concept of uh, that decluttering kind of what I was saying earlier is when you're looking at it in a very small window. If there's a bunch of stuff going on in the background, it's really going to take away from the subject of that thumbnail or what you want people to be enticed by and see. Um, so with that, there's a few strategies that Brad and I use in order to mitigate um, the stuff going on in the background. You know, both myself and Brad um, don't have studios to shoot in, per se. Um, and uh, with that, we, we, we can't just take a piece and dump it into a room that we have perfect lighting and perfect backdrop and contrast uh, everywhere that we want it and take the shots that uh, you would use in a catalog, for instance. So with that, there's a couple little tricks that we both like to use um, and me more than you needing to just because my shop is trash as far as right. <laughs> lighting and shooting goes. So um, one thing is going to be uh, Photoshop. And this is something that I'm pretty new to as far as editing my thumbs. I was doing a lot of it in Illustrator and over the course of the last, I would say four to six months, um, Brad's actually coached me up via his learning on uh, Skillshare or Linda or whatever it was um, to uh, start decluttering my photos in post instead of doing it beforehand, because it's very difficult for me to do it beforehand, not having somewhere to shoot. So with that, you know, what you can do in Photoshop essentially is put your subject in the center of the photo. You still want to take a, a well-lit photo. You want to take a photo that has the subject in the, the rule of thirds where we've talked about in our photography episodes. Um, and then 
as low, excuse me, not low, but um, as much bokeh as you can get in that shot. You want to uh, try to make the background uh, to where it's there's that you know transition separation, and separation field, right. and that depth of field. So that way, when you get into Photoshop, you can select the background. And basically, what I do is throw a I throw a, a filter over top of it, and then I change the opacity so it becomes see through. So it's not just a white backdrop or a black drop black backdrop. For instance, uh, as you could picture in your head, it would be a white translucent backdrop to where it is just blurring out and making that subject pop a little more. And there's some very easy tools on doing this. Um, there's tons of videos and we'll link to some of those on in, in the show notes uh, for this episode. But what it does is it creates a nice contrast and a nice difference in the subject of the photo for the thumbnail compared to what's happening in the background. Um, so we know a lot of our listeners have uh, shops that they shoot in and that's pretty much it. Um, they can maybe get the piece into their home um, to where they're able to take photographs in a, in, a, in a better lighting or somewhere that's more quote unquote staged. Um, the other aspect of decluttering the background you're going to run into is all of our listeners who are doing custom work in their final shot or their thumbnail shot, beauty shot, whatever is in the client's home. Um, right. My best video to date is my river table, and that is shot in a client's home. The intro, the outro, and all of the beauty shots. Um, it's very well lit. The lighting is great. I had my, my professional buddy come in and do those final parts. But what happened when it came to the thumbnail was windows. And there was windows in the backdrop. And there was outlets in the backdrop. And those things are also able to be edited in post. So yeah, Brad and there, myself sat there. Go take a look at that. Go take a look at that. Go go look at John's video. Look at the thumbnail. Uh, and then watch, you know, you'll even be able to pick it up in just the intro. Oh, yeah. No and, doubt. and then don't just close out the, let the video play because you'll, you'll see why in a minute. You're going to kill John's retention if you, if you just look at the first <laughs> yes. 10 seconds and then go away. But uh, what you'll see is you'll see John standing in a room full of windows and you're like, well, the thumbnail, <laughs> the, yeah. what happened there? That it's walls. And so like, yeah, so that was something where uh, Brad, myself, and we actually got, I got a lot of help from Ben Ueda from Homemade Modern on that thumb as well. Um, and we, we put a lot more time and effort because I knew that piece of content could really change the, the spectrum of uh, my channel. So that's the next aspect of, you know, what we want you to be thinking when it comes to thumbnail is putting the time into the thumbnail. Um, you know, you can do all this stuff in pre and post um, and you could do it on, on a fly, you know, 10 minute edit, whatever. Cool. Like video is done. But if you do take the time to set up the photo properly, have the proper lighting, conceptualize, you know, how it's going to be seen in your head while you're taking the photos, you're gonna have a much better chance of getting a quality thumb. I knew for that river table, for instance, I wanted the subject, the table, to be in the center of the photo, but I knew that there was gonna be a large possibility it would be blown out or the lighting wouldn't be very good because of the windows in the background. Um, so. What I did was I masked off the whole uh, backdrop of the table itself, and then I just dropped in uh, a white wall or like an off-white wall that I got a stock photo or stock image that I, I purchased the rights for. Um, and it made the whole look of that thumbnail change. Um, there's nothing busy going on in the background. I was able to edit out all of the wall outlets and boom, everything that I wanted to pops colors are crystal clear and everything was the way I wanted it to look. Yeah. So j just as a, we, we, we went pretty deep here, but just as a, as a recap, I think the the main idea here is that 
uh, like John said, think think about it. You want to spend a good amount of time on your thumbnails. Uh, you know, you want to at least thinking ahead when you're shooting. Remember that you're shooting for widescreen because I've had that issue before as well. Where if you're shooting on a regular camera, which is a two to three ratio or a four to three ratio, uh, that's not going to show up the same. So if you have you know something that that that's very tall, uh, it's going to you have to think about that because you're going to have to crop down. Uh, so make sure that you're shooting for widescreen 16 by nine. Um, and also what, what we're mentioning about all this editing in post-production in Photoshop or paint shop or whatever those ones are, uh, there's, there's all kinds of different programs. Some are free is that, um, you can use layers and masks and basically select items, hide things, pull things out, do contrast. Um, and those are all kind of next level things that the whole idea is that using a less than perfect, less than studio photo shoot to highlight your subject matter. And uh, there's tons and tons of videos. We'll, we'll link to some of them uh, that talk about it. But yeah, you'll you'll want to to take your stuff to the next level. Knowing how to work with layers and masks uh, really unlocks a lot, a whole lot. Um, you can see the same thing on my river table uh, on my epoxy waterfall one if you go and look at that and then look at my shop you'll be able to tell uh i don't have that much open space i just grabbed it and i had like a foot of open space and i just grabbed it and drug it to the right and made it like five feet of open space so there's all those little cool things that you can do once you learn these these uh post-production techniques yes and we we know we advocate a lot for not needing a ton of tools to get into a lot of stuff but like this specifically is that next level step. Like you got started and you want to know why or how I can get better. Investing in better tooling and more time into learning those tools is um, is, is kind of the stage that we're, we're talking about here. Yeah. Um, and it gives you more flex. It just gives you more flexibility, right? Absolutely. You're going to have to work harder. If you don't want to edit and post like this, like that we're talking, you're going to have to work harder to make sure you set up the photo correctly. So that, that that's just kind of where that goes. But we took a little bit of time here on thumbnail because we think it's super important, but just as important is titling, right? Because yes. that, th that's the one-two combo. Thumbnail and title is what you see when you're searching on YouTube and when anybody is searching on YouTube. So the title, uh, you know, title's interesting in the sense that you can kind of go, you can go a couple ways. You can go for the attention grabber, uh, kind of like the, the question. Uh, and, and this goes along with the thumbnail too. One thing that we would to definitely suggest uh, to stay away from uh, is clickbait. Yes. So you do not want to say, you won't believe what I made, you know, type of thing, uh, you know, with a frying pan, like, and then they click on it and it's, you know, you turning a bowl and then like you eat an egg at the end yeah. and put it in the bowl. Like <laughs> <You're right. laughs> that's, that's clickbait, right? Like you, you want to make sure the most important thing about the title is that it is an accurate depiction of what they're going to see. Now you can spice that up in a lot of different ways. And, you know, one thing John and I have talked about a lot is, um, you can do titles two different ways. You can do a title that is geared towards search and keywords and SEO. Uh, so something like that for a table might be uh, how to make a wooden epoxy river table woodworking DIY, right? So it's like you get a bunch of keywords. You've got the how-to, you've got woodworking, you've got DIY, you know, river table epoxy, all those things. But it doesn't necessarily roll off the tongue. Whereas, uh, you know, if you went for something more attention grabbing, you might say, uh, you know, unbelievable epoxy river table or something yes. like that, you know? Yeah. And th like that, um, that concept is really something that you're going to have to, um, marry yourself to as far as your brand goes. You know, if you want to be flashy and look for more of those spice words, things that 
Um, if you use a tool like CoSchedule and it helps you with your blog terminology that are going to add words like amazing, awesome, epic, you know, all that stuff. And I do a little bit. Of, if I feel like a project I'm doing is boring and I feel like that there's nothing really that's grabbing, that's when I'll add, you know, most epic uh, blah, blah, blah or whatever. Or like, you know, epic woodworking station, something that's typically bland. That's when I add that stuff in. But I'm like an epic human. And that fits me like, you know, what I mean, I feel like that a lot of the things I try to do are over the top or large in scale or whatever it might be. So I'm cool with that. Like, I don't think I would uh, I would advocate if you're trying to do highly educational content on doing like most extremely epic, you know, uh, master built world changing uh, pen. Like, you know, that's going to be, it's going to conflict with your brand. So if you're going to use those type of tools, just make sure that they fit to whatever you're trying to do with your brand. But as Brad touched on, you know, there's a lot of great ways to, to figure out um, the best titling that you're trying to do. And we tend to lean towards more of SEO optimization type titling because our space is educational and based around search. So if you're in the woodworking DIY or maker community, um, you want to think long term. You want to think long play. YouTube is an evergreen platform. Your videos stay there forever. Um, if you pull up a woodworking video for basically anything technique wise, you are probably going to find a Mark Spagnuolo video that has anywhere from a 10, 10 year lifespan on it because of, you know, evergreen search. Um, so those are things you want to make sure that you're capitalizing on as you're titling your videos. And there's some good tools out there that we've talked about in previous episodes like Google Trends. Um, Google Trends is a is a tool that you can basically compare uh, search terms and see which ones are trending. Brad in our blog episode goes pretty deep on how we use this um, uh, to to get started in blogging, and it's it segues right into titling your YouTube videos. Yeah, and for that, I mean, just because I, I do, I think we're going to be doing a whole keyword research uh, show. So yeah, let us let us know in the Facebook group or uh, Instagram or the show notes uh, if you would like to hear on that. But I think the basics of that are, you know, what do people search for? Like if if you make, and it, it it's kind of hard sometimes because there are so many things that people uh, refer to items as, right? So like a side table is a great example. You could have a side table, a bedside table, an accent table, an end table. I mean, an occasional table. Like there's all these things that you could call one piece. And what is the most popular one? Uh, I had a had a conversation with a guy the other day, and he made a uh, outfeed table, and he had called it a workbench uh, outfeed table, I believe. And I said, I was like, ah, like that doesn't ring to me. And then we looked up, and then like what we looked up is like the search for table saw outfeed table, which is exactly what it was, uh, was like a thousand times higher <laughs> than than the search for workbench outfeed table. So even though you might think, oh, we're like, you know, it's not that important. Uh, much more important on blog, on YouTube, what that also helps you do, not so much for search as well, but are not only for search, but also for suggested videos. Because what YouTube does is they look at the titles, they look at the metadata, and all the metadata is, is basically, you know, your title, your tags, and your description. They look at all those things. And then when they're suggesting videos to other to other viewers, they're going to look and see what what is a complimentary video to the video this person just watched. Uh, and in that sense, you want to make sure that you're also on there for what people are searching for and what other videos are titled. Uh, you know, not the exact same, uh, but, you know, you want to make sure that YouTube knows to recommend it. And so if you call it something different than other people call it, 
uh, you're going to possibly miss out on that stuff and you're going to have to rely on some of the other data. But, uh, you know, I think that's a important thing also is, is to look out there, see what other videos are titled and what's it, the vidIQ, right, John? Mm-hmm. The vidIQ is a great plugin uh, for Chrome. Uh, it's also a service. VidIQ and TubeBuddy are ones that we've talked about that help you title and, and do things and tags and stuff like that. Uh, but VidIQ, if you go in and you can see, um, you can see like how people are using tags as well as uh, the rates of, well, I guess you can see that in the regular, but anyway, you, you can search and get a little bit more information and see which videos have performed better. You know, what kind of titling did they use? and take a key off of that. Oh, and it gives the keyword. That's what it does. It gives you um, the search volume as well as the competition. That's what it gives you in the little thing. So for any search, it'll tell you, <clears throat> excuse me, here's how much search there is on YouTube and here's how many people have videos on that. Yes. So there's some great tools out there as well. And your title needs to be considered as highly regarded as the thumbnail itself. Those combination can really crush it for you. And then the last part of this, uh, like this, the whole, um, stopping the scroll type uh, thought process is going to be uh, lettering on the thumbnail in conjunction with your title or not. Um, and this, is a, this isn't something we have some concrete evidence on. I mean, I wish I could give uh, like always do lettering or never do lettering or do you want your logo on there or do a side banner or do like a, you know, right. a, a bottom banner. Then, like, yeah, the bottom banner. And we've seen uh, this is something that's always changing, um, we feel like. And, and you know, there's some some people in our space that do a killer job that always use a banner. And then there's some people that change their literally every single thumb is different. Um, so in that, you know, if you feel that the project itself is not, not as descriptive or popping as you'd like it to be, then consider adding some lettering. Or if there's a lot of dead space in the photo, you know, then consider adding some lettering. What we find is that a vertical uh, object or something that's taller, that is typically more difficult to shoot horizontal that's going to leave an opportunity to add lettering. Um, and those are the times where, you know, you'll see in our type of content that we use it. But you definitely want to make sure that that, let, that the titling is um, in conjunction with the thumbnail. And if you're doing lettering or not over the thumbnail, uh, that they're, they're both relative. You don't want to have, you know, something completely different in your thumbnail than you do in the title itself. Right. And that is um, the letter. Yeah. So for the, the title... That's an also interesting thing. Like I know Tim Schmoyer, you know, who I love, you guys know I love um, what he talks about. And he says, like, make it complimentary. I don't do that at all. Like, and and John and I typically, and a lot of people in our space do the exact opposite. We basically repeat it. So like in my epoxy waterfall river table, like the titling says epoxy waterfall river table or whatever it says, epoxy resin river table uh, on there. And versus, you know, having like, because they're already reading the title. And so there's another thought of like, you know, give them something extra there. Uh, you know, one, another thing that we didn't talk about the titling, just cause it's not done a ton in our space, but it's like other things, like other embellishments, like a red arrow, like a red, like those things can be done, you know, in, you, you need to use them lightly, but like, if there's something you really want to call out, you can lay over like on my wireless charging desk. I added because I wanted it people to understand that it was charging that phone. And that's really hard to depict when you're trying to also get the whole f- table. So, or at least a portion of the table. And so I added, like I Photoshopped on a green battery and little like green uh, beams coming out of the phone to make it look like, Oh, like, yeah, that's charging. Now I don't know if that helped it or not. Um, 
I have to imagine it didn't hurt it. Right. Yeah. And so like just subtle things like that. I also had a turning video where I was talking about mistakes I made and there was a crack in the end of the piece that was on my lathe that was very hard to pick up. And I couldn't figure out how, because if I zoomed in too tight, you'd lose, you know, the setting and, and the awareness of what was happening. So I put a huge red arrow pointing down at that crack and that, that video did very, very well compared to all the other turning videos in that series. And, and that was part of it, I think. So you know, that thumbnail and the title work in conjunction. So if you say something like, like in that one, I said, beginner mistakes on the lathe. And then I had a big red arrow pointing at the crack, right? That that's a one, two combo that people see that you've just like, I just told a story in that title and that thumbnail. And it's like, okay, if I go in there, I'm going to see like what, what he screwed up and what this thing he's pointing at is all about. Right. And that, that's the enticement. So, um, but you know, wrapping this, this part up and, uh, The whole idea is that this is the most important thing because that is how you get people into your content. Uh, Then the part that we're going to completely gloss over because it is what you are expected to do is to have killer, amazing content. Yeah. (laughs) Right. That's the that's the given. Yeah, that's the name of the game. I mean, you're not trying to bait people into uh, just watching your videos and then, you know, they're just trash like you're trying to produce the most high quality content that you possibly can um, in order to help and build the community and build a community around your content. So make sure you keep that emphasized throughout. But when getting started, you definitely want to be considering your thumbnail and the title um, at the beginning of your project and not as an afterthought. I made that mistake. I regret it. And it's something that I can't really change now. So make sure that you're focusing on building great content. And then these two basics with the thumbnail and the title, and you will be off to a great start. So now that you have a great piece of content developed, it's shot, you've got an awesome title, you've got a great photograph um, for your thumbnail, and it's edited and you're ready to rock and roll, you post it, now what, right? Well, a lot, there's an incredible amount of awesome YouTubers who just dump and run, right? They post a piece of content and they just let it roll. Um, And that's great if you're able to you know, live with that. that, But if you're insane, like me and Brad are, you're going to now jump into the numbers. Um, What you're going to do is you're going to be evaluating your watch time, your views, retention. There's so much data that goes into YouTube um, that you watch, like the real, real heavy players capitalize on. And I'm not talking people in our space. We're talking the the guys and girls that are out there absolutely crushing it. Billions of views on their channel, millions of subscribers, millions of views per day. And and yeah, they're the ones that, you know, have a lot of emphasis going into their data and analytics. And that is really where you can make a difference in the growth cycle of your channel. Um, and, and, And that's kind of, you know, where Brad comes into the picture for me, for instance, you know, we 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 go back and forth on a lot of things, but then we will literally sit down and hard go through numbers. We were doing it before we recorded this episode on you know essentially a monthly or quarterly evaluation of your channel what's performing well why it's doing well how it got to where it's at and how you can execute in the future on those things it's not so much about looking at what happened and, w- and where it came from and why it happened it's about taking what happened in the past looking at those numbers and putting your new content in a favorable position in order to capitalize on it um and yeah. i think that's kind of like why this conversation came up is because you're hitting a 
a little bit of a snowball here with your content based on your data analysis, right? This is an right? avalanche. Yeah. This is not a little snowball. This is, <laughs> like, yes, uh, an avalanche. My, my channel is up like 50% in two weeks. So yeah, so that that um, really makes uh, you, you go back and look. But, you know, we had the teaser at the beginning of the show about, you know, the most important metric. Well, I, we'll kick off with this because it ties right back to what we just got through spending so long on the thumbnail and the title is um, I what John and I believe at this point, and we're still trying to figure out, right? But the most important metric that YouTube is giving us today uh, is the click-through rate. This is brand new. This is in YouTube Studio Beta. So if you are in YouTube Analytics, uh, you go up to the top left, I believe, uh, and it says YouTube Studio Beta. You can default it to make it your personal one, but it's it's basically their new creator studio. And um, what they are now giving us, and we never knew this before, what they're now giving us is the number of impressions that your thumbnail is getting. And they calculate that. And it's a lot like insights on Instagram. We've talked about that a lot, right? But you're kind of shooting in the dark with YouTube. You kind of knew, okay, great. This one performed really well. But you really never knew how many times people saw it. So is that really well, but a lower or higher click-through rate? So now for any thumbnail, for every thumbnail... They tell you how many impressions you got, and that means that that was on somebody's screen more than 50%, I believe. Right? It might even be the full, the full picture. So like they measure it in the sense that somebody digested, somebody saw that, you know, it, it went through their screen, uh, however they account for that. And then did they click on it or not? And you can get to that. I guess I should have had that pulled up. But that is um, in the, the new YouTube beta. I will... Uh, pull this up here as as we're talking, but what it'll basically give you is let you know how well that thumbnail and title connected with the audience. So again, click through rate, like knowing that you can then say, hey, so I put text overlay on this one. I shot this one in contrast. I didn't shoot this one. Um, it's not an end all be all, but what you can start doing is seeing which videos had high click through rate, which which thumbnails, which ones had low click through rate. So if you go into the YouTube studio beta, you can go to analytics um, you can click on the Reach Viewers tab, and also if you just search for, uh, if you go to Google, and we'll get a we'll get a thing, maybe like Tim Schmoy or, or Daryl Eves talking about it. But if you get a Reach Viewers, there's an impression click through rate, and it basically says uh, how many impressions you had and how many views came out of that, and you basically just divide that into it, and that's your click through rate, right? And that is how you can go back and understand: Are you getting better or worse with your thumbnail? Is your is your content? And there's, there's a whole lot that goes into that. And that's, you know, John and I were, were just talking about, like you mentioned before the show. So it, it's hard to digest in the sense of um, every video is very different. So a click-through rate is not only based on how you did your thumbnail and titling. It's obviously also the subject matter. Uh, and, you know, it could even be time of day and all those things. So it's something that you digest over time. And, you, and you, as you make small changes, you can see that move and shake and change. Uh, but model after what works. And if things didn't work, then, you know, make tweaks to it and kind of start getting a better picture of how well uh, your impressions are landing on your audience. Yes. And these are the type of things where you're essentially just going to look at what's doing well on your channel and look at what's doing well and what's not. Um, this, you know, specific data point um, with the click-through impressions is massively important. And we are very fortunate that YouTube recently released this to us. But in that, I mean, it, essentially you can just look at views and you can look at a, you know, 
a piece of content that's doing well. And if you have a great thumbnail and it's doing better and you have a crappy one, you can easily look at those and go, hmm, that thumb sucks. Like <laughs> I should probably have done a better one. Um, and that is one thing that you can change after. A lot of the things in YouTube you can't change after, but you can change thumb and title. We don't think you should um, unless it's a severely underperforming piece of content um, and it's been out there for a while. You feel like it's stagnant. You look at the numbers, um, maybe then. But, you know, just using the data to your advantage and then being cognizant of the fact that it does matter in the grand scheme of things. You got to remember YouTube is an algorithmic platform. It is a uh, it's a machine learned uh, system that uh, there's not people that are just scrolling through stuff going, "Ooh, that thumbnail's great. I'm going to serve that to more people. It is based on data and there's data points that matter and there's there's ones that don't. Um, that's kind of the guessing game of YouTube. But in that, you can definitely use the numbers to your advantage in order to gear yourself to produce better content. Um, and, you know, we're not sitting here saying to spend all of your time looking at numbers and not producing good content because at the end of the day, producing high quality content is going to be much more um, beneficial to you and your channel than looking at numbers and trying to guess or trying to uh, game the system based on you know what's happening there. We definitely want you putting out the best content you can, but you for sure want to be looking at your audience. You want to be looking at the numbers um, and giving yourself the best opportunity to put something out there and have it you know be all encompassing um, and 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 winning uh, to to the best of your ability as a content creator. Yeah. And I really liked what you said, John, the, about, um, you know, maybe it's a, it's a monthly or quarterly thing and you just sit down for an hour and go through and just really digest it. Um, you know, I, I basically do an hour every day just because I know I yeah, <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe this past very week likely. for sure. Yeah. Very likely, but yes, don't, you know, don't be crippled by it. But I, what I'm going to say is make it a regularly scheduled thing. But then also, um, if you have inflection points, and what I mean by an inflection point, if you have a video that just pops off, uh, go in and see, uh, or if you have a video that just bombs, go in and be like, man, what, what happened here? And so the other piece that you're going to want to look at that is complementary to this. So this is, you know, again, the way that we're trying to talk to you about, uh, and we should have prefaced this, John, uh, at the beginning, is that what YouTube is going to serve, and we've talked about this before, is what keeps people on the platform the longest. Mm -hmm. So your goal, uh, to if you want to grow on YouTube, again, this is all towards growth. Like if you're just putting it out there just to do your whole creative thing, go for it. We're talking growth. We're talking business growth, how to grow on YouTube, get more views, and make it aligned with your business, is you want uh, to have something where people watch your video as much as possible, and they also watch more videos. So this, there's this whole idea of a watch session and that is when any singular user goes on to YouTube, the video, they start watching a video and some time later, uh, it could be 30 seconds later, or it could be 30 minutes later, they stop watching and leave the platform. And uh, by bringing people onto the platform, you get a little boost. So YouTube goes, oh, uh, John brought people to the platform because they clicked from Instagram and then they stayed for 15 minutes and they watched three videos and whatever those things are. And so uh, we're going to push John's video because we know when people start watching John's video, uh, they stay for 15 minutes. When people start watching Brad's video, they only stay for four minutes and then they leave. So let's show more of John's and less of Brad's. And that's what this is all about. Uh, and then the way that you can further understand that of how long people are staying on your particular videos is retention. We've talked about retention a lot, retention time. 
And that is uh, my second most favorite metric to look at is retention time. And that is something that I've just recently really gotten into. Um, and so this really goes into the content of your video. So we said, you know, we won't not necessarily what the content is, but how you structure it. So think about it this way is, um, you know, just think about you watching a television show or you, whatever you watching YouTube video. When do you drop off? Uh, typically people drop off watching a YouTube video when they get distracted or they lose interest. So the whole idea is, uh, to keep people on your video longer, you need to have engaging content and whether that means like really engaging, you know, there's some people that just sit there and talk and mm-hmm. what they're talking about is engaging. So it's not like a bunch of cuts and stuff. It's just an engaging subject matter and they're telling a story or whatever it is. Uh, for ours, it's more typically you're keeping the pace going. So you're not showing you walking across the shop, setting up a jig unless it's, you know, part of your style and you're telling a story and voiceover behind it. Uh, but if there's just no sound and you walking across the shop and picking something up and then like fiddling with something, you know, B-roll is great. But if, you know, like if I'm setting up a cut and I show me tapping the fence over for 30 seconds, <laughs> trying to get perfectly on one thirty second of an inch past my last cut, uh, people are going to drop off. They're like, this is boring. So the idea is pace, uh, whatever that means to you. So for me, it's pace. For me, I do lots of cuts and I do lots of action. I'll do sped up things. Um, you know, we do different shots. John does great with the cinematography, getting various shots and getting unique shots where people are like, oh my gosh, like I, I just love the views of it. Um, you know, somebody like Chris Salamone, on the other hand, does an amazing job through storytelling. He, he still has great cinematography, but he's engaging you through his voiceover as well. So, um, you know, all those things is you want to keep people in that video as long as humanly possible because you want them to click on the next video, whether that's through the end card or through a you know suggested video. Um, the more they stay on your video, the more it's going to get served. Yeah. And uh, in the basic aspect of looking at your numbers, there is a main page when you click on analytics and there's a bunch of arrows on it. You want all of those arrows going up into the green if you possibly can. And you want to be able to look at your data and do exactly what Brad was saying. Keep people on platform. Keep them watching your videos. That'll increase watch time. That'll increase view duration. That'll increase all of the metrics that YouTube wants to see that help your stuff uh, go on the right track and upward. Um, So, you know, in that, you also got to think of how of growth on the platform matters much more on platform. But there are ways to supplement the on-platform viewing outside of the platform. And that's something that Brad and I have uh, been, I guess, doing for a long time. Um, And that is a great portfolio uh, builder for our brands as, you know, fix this, build that and John Malenke. And that's going to be social media promotion or promoting off platform uh, specifically with, uh, you know, Instagram, Facebook, um, Instructables, Reddit, things we've talked about in the past, Um, specifically for YouTube, what we're seeing a lot more of now is uh, promotion off platform driving to views over what used to be driving towards a website to drive to a blog post to drive to um, a video. So in the past, you know, you would want people going to your site to find your video. And in that you would uh, be taking that traffic and then trying to get them to go watch a video that has an accompanying blog post and uh, the video was kind of like the supplement to the blog post. And now it's kind of flipped where a lot of a lot of us as influencers and, and creators are 
emphasizing the video views themselves because that's what brands want to see when it comes to advertising. So in that, you can really do a great job of direct, um, directly pushing people to these other platforms uh, on Instagram and specifically uh, Facebook with the swipe up feature on Instagram, which you see Brad and I use all the time. Um, and that's a great way to drive immediately as well as the link in your bio. Um, I'm pretty sure that both of, both of us have moved solely over to just linking the YouTube video compared to linking to the website to then link to the YouTube video, which we, we kind of used to do. Um, and in that you can do, you know, paid promotion if you want. We don't, uh, we don't advocate for that typically because it's not something we both seen any success from, but, uh, that's how a lot of big brands do it. They'll produce a piece of content. They'll put some money behind it and try to drive traffic to it. But you can drive directly to your videos now via these platforms. Um, we obviously are huge fans of Instagram. We know how it how it works, and it works well for both of our brands. It works well in our space. Um, but definitely don't underestimate the uh, opportunities on Facebook. Facebook's something where you can create a piece of teaser content specifically for Facebook with linking to the YouTube video. Um, and the, the Facebook algorithm will push down linking outside of the platform but you can still get some great um, exposure for your piece of content. And what you can hope for there is a blog or something massive to pick up that piece of content and reshare it. And that's where you can really see some juice. Um, with my river table specifically, it had about a thousand shares on Facebook in the first day and a half. And that's been the only piece of content I've ever produced that had that many shares. Um, and with that came a lot of external traffic to my YouTube channel, which you can see in the analytics, uh, that really, really helped boost that video up and watch it go viral. Yeah, I, I think that, so they're promoting off platform, uh, and our view has changed quite a bit, actually, even as we've, as we've dug into some more of this retention and, and everything, because, um, you know, what we thought in the past was like, Hey, you know, the more views, more views. Uh, but then getting back to watch time, and there's a reason when you go into YouTube analytics, there's a reason that the very first thing they say is watch time. Mm -hmm. It's because they value watch time more than views. So, you know, again, I, I won't run the numbers or anything, but, you know, if, if you have a long video that if you have a 20 minute video, I am going to run the numbers. Apparently, if you have a 20 minute video that has a 50 percent watch time or uh, retention rate, so 10 minute watch time versus a five minute video that has 100 percent retention rate. Uh, you're getting twice as many watch time minutes out of that longer video. And uh, Google or uh, YouTube is going to push that more. So uh, it's going to be, you know, again, you're keeping people on platform twice as long on your channel. Uh, so as you think about these social platforms and shareability, um, the one that generates a ton of views uh, or it has the capability to do it and that we were really high on for a minute there is, is Reddit. But um, I'm going to go out there and say, uh, I don't like Reddit anymore. I have not posted to Reddit. I've not posted my last four or five projects to Reddit because uh, what happens is that Reddit, in, in my mind, is not a quality view. And it's because if you go in and you can actually look, it's, it's really interesting, uh, again, diving down deep into the numbers, looking at retention and watch time. You can go in there and you can see the different traffic sources. So they will tell you where your views are coming from, from suggested videos, from home, and then from external. And external will be all this stuff that we're talking about right now. So suggested videos and home, that's all the YouTube algorithm. That's exactly what, that's what, so this big broad term of YouTube algorithm, that's what it is. 
its suggested videos and being served on the homepage. If you go to uh, the external traffic source, then you can see where views came from. Did they come from a website? Did they come from Facebook, YouTube, or um, not YouTube, uh, Facebook, Instagram, Reddit, wherever. And what you'll see is the average watch time for each of those platforms. Uh, and what I found out and what John and I f- were talking about together is that the average watch time from Reddit is usually 25% less than any other traffic source. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I was getting four and a half minutes out of watch time on a video from Instagram. I got three minutes from Reddit. And what that does is it drops your retention rate. It drops the watch time. And so the retention rate is very important. Uh, if you can get, if you can end the video at over 50% retention, that's kind of the, the Miranda line there. And, um, you know, the retention rate on Reddit for my videos is like 32% or something. And so that's, um, you know, that's what, like I mentioned, I think earlier in the show on Reddit, it, uh, my epoxy river table blew up on Reddit. It had like a hundred thousand plus views in the first day, huge spike. And then it just died. And so I, you know, I don't know all the stuff behind that, but what I do know is that those were not quality views. The retention was not high. It had a big splash and then it kind of went away. So, um, you know, so sites like Instructables, Instructables has a much longer rate, but what you you can do personally is go in and again, go into your analytics and look at the traffic sources and see which traffic sources people are staying on platform the longest. And what I'm personally doing, uh, and so you know, you can take that. I don't necessarily recommend it yet. What I'm doing now is I'm saving that stuff. So if I have something that has lower retention, I'm not going to do that until my video is kind of plateaued. Then I'll go put it on Reddit because it's not going to hurt anything because I've kind of lost all the juice, if you will. Um, and I don't want to slow down and give YouTube the signal that, oh, this video is not resonating anymore because people are jumping off of it earlier than they used to be. Yeah. And there's two theories here that are playing against each other. The first is going to be Um, Brad's theory in concepts of video retention, long play, um, you want a video to not peak immediately. You want it to peak um, over the course of, say, a 90-day life um, somewhere in the middle, right? Bell curve kind of concept. There's also the thought process that getting an initial jolt to your channel and an initial jolt to views can help a video spike and go viral immediately. And that's kind of where those Reddit views come in. You're going to see massive drop off. We both have experienced that. And you're going to see a very, very low retention comparatively to where the quality views are coming in um, from people that are actually interested in your content. So you can get that initial spike and then hope that your video can pop off and go viral but then your next video, you know, may just completely bomb um, because you bank on those, you know, initial Reddit type videos instead of getting YouTube to boost your video up um, and have, you know, more consistent views on all of your videos and not as many spikes. So there's bo- two ways to do it. And we know a lot of people yeah. in our space that win at both sides of it. They win on Reddit. And then we know a lot of people that win without being on Reddit. So right. You're going to have and that's to- why I'm not right. Re- and that's why I, I'm talking of what I'm doing. Yeah. And I'm not going to recommend it for other people. You got to make your own decision. And that's so that's basically because you do on. see. Yeah. You so. got to make well, you got to make your own decision because, I mean, me right. and you have both gone through it and we see a lot of people win. like there is some very heavy players in our space that are winning hard on Reddit. We're not taking away from it at all, but their channels are much different in format to what mine and Brad are uh, yeah. comparatively. And I think that's the beauty is that it, it's going to be different for your channel. And that's why you need to go in and do the work 
for your channel in that one hour a month, you know, go in there, look at your traffic sources and see what's resonating and then make the decision based on that. Um, and, and, you know, and some people are just going to drop and run and that, and that's fine. Um, and again, this, <laughs> you know, as much as I like to think that I know what's going on, I have no idea what's going on. Zero. I just, I just know, I just see what works and try to do more of that and see what doesn't work and try to do less of that. Yeah. Right. And that's, that's all we can do. Um, and so if what I see now working for me today is, uh, like John said, is trying to get more quality views and staying away from, from the Reddit, uh, and getting my retention up. And, uh, I, I didn't mention this during that retention piece, but, uh, another part of that is quick intro, quick outro, because, uh, as soon as you wrap up a video, Drop off. Um, Huge. Drop off, right? So I used to thank my sponsors at the end of my videos. I would do kind of a 20-second thank you to my sponsors. Uh, and I would say, you know, hey, uh, thanks to Rigid for sponsoring today's video. You can go check out the new lineup, blah, 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 down here. Uh, then I would do my typical wrap-up where the end cards are. And I would say, you know, hey, go check out my next video, whatever. Um, but what happened, I and you can go in. That's, that is the beauty of the retention is that you can see by second of your video where the drops are. So you can go in and see where people drop off. You know, that that's the other thing. I think there's a lot tied in this retention. If you go in to look at your retention graph for any video, uh, what you want to look for is again, inflection points. So is it just a nice gradual, if it's just kind of a gradual decline, that's great. Uh, you know, everybody's going to have a huge drop off at the very beginning. You go from hundred percent down to 75, like almost immediately. Um, but that was another thing I saw and why I tried to make my intro shorter and shorter and get to the action is that it was almost like a direct drop until a tool showed up on my screen. It was just complete, just drop straight from the top to the bottom. Uh, as soon as I started turning the tools on and whether that was 10 seconds in or 25 seconds in, that's when it leveled out. And so that's why I try to do very quick intros. Uh, and then I'll talk about the setup as I'm you know, beginning my milling process or whatever, if I want to give any backstory to the project instead of being a talking head and be like, oh, I was super excited about this project. I think it really turned out great. You're going to learn some new, th like, no, I'm like, here's what I'm building. I might tell you one thing that you're going to learn. Then I jump into it. Same thing on the outro. As soon as I hit my sponsor, thank you, you know, drop like a rock. So what that did is that they didn't get to my end screen to be able to give them one more opportunity to click on one of my videos. So they may have stayed on platform and clicked on a different video, but the odds of it being one of my videos was a lot lower than if I go straight to my outro being my end card. So now I try to jump into that outro, you know, without, without any delay. And, and, um, you know, that's, again, that's, that's a retention play for me to get more people to see the end card. So you could see all the tactical aspects of being on YouTube and, and how you can work a lot of things to your advantage. And there's stuff we haven't even talked about. We didn't even get into Pinterest. We barely touched on Instructables. But like YouTube is a monster. It's its own monster in that. And sometimes the one thing you need to be considering and understanding is that YouTube will do what YouTube wants. You'll have a video <laughs> pop off and go wild. You'll have no reason why. You don't know. And you can look at the data and whatnot and try to decipher it. And then three months later, still have your head in spinning. So just understand that, too, that something can just jump <laughs> jump off for no reason. Um, and, you know, it's kind of out of your control. But if you do, you know, take the basic steps that we've talked about here, 
um, get rolling in the right direction, you can see consistent winning and start to get that growth. And that's kind of where we started this episode and we'll wrap up as well, is that our concept for being on YouTube is to grow on YouTube and not just try to spike or to dump content. We want to see long-term winning. We want to see long play. Um, and that's what we advocate for all of you that want to be on YouTube as well. So in that, you know, just just get yourself ready for the long haul um, and don't be discouraged uh, by short plays or things that aren't happening at the moment. YouTube is a it's a fickle beast and it is a yeah. love hate relationship and it is a uh, it is something that you um, get accustomed to. And that's why we have so many conversations on the show about supplemental income and, you know, being yep. in more than one place and all that stuff. But yeah, YouTube is a monster. And and, uh, and this is a good conversation. I mean, it's it's coming on the back end of a spike. Um, if you guys want, make sure you're checking out Brad's channel. Um, it's probably going to have another 50,000 subs to it by the time this video, this this the show airs with the <laughs> with the with the uh, avalanche that you're on right now. But you can see if you go back, um, you know, on something like Social Blade, for instance, and type fix this, build that in. You could see Brad's number changes and that's that's information available to everybody. Um, so, it is. you know, you can, uh, and, and we don't have all the answers, like we said, um, but I think this is a great conversation to get rolling in the right direction. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I, I don't, I love the numbers. I don't love to, you know, to, to brag or try to play up my numbers, but I will say, uh, you know, when you hit, have a video that hits, it does feel good. And it makes me lose a massive amount of time because I'm just sitting there trying to dissect it. I'm like, oh my gosh, <laughs> look at this one. Oh wait, look at this one. Uh, yes. But yes, you can go in there and look. And and uh, John, I'm glad you said it, but the uh, I want to reiterate that um, it, it is a struggle. It is a grind. It does not come, you, you do have the occasional, again, you can go, so if you can go check out anybody you want from, you know, Bob Claggett, our hero, who uh, is about to hit 2 million. He is like a stone's throw away from 2 million, which is fantastic. Awesome. Con congratulations on that, Bob. Um, you know, down to somebody who just started yesterday and did their first video. Uh, although you might have to load them in the database. Once somebody gets loaded in the database on Social Blade, you can go in and you can see uh, what happened and what they do. And as you look at my channel, John's channel, almost everybody's channel you see, you will see a long, slow, very tiny line for a long time. Mm -hmm. And then, and then it starts growing, getting started on YouTube, getting the growth started, getting that growth engine started is tough. Tough. It is very, very tough. So when you hit that thousand, uh, subscribers and when you qualify to be a partner on YouTube to get AdSense, man, uh, like, take pride in that. And that is a win. That is a huge win. And, and, uh, you know, like I said, we've been doing it at the top of the show, we've been doing this for almost three years. It's taken us this long to get where we're at right now. Um, and obviously the more you put into it, you know, the quicker you'll be able to grow, but, uh, just know it does not come easy. It does not come quickly. Uh, but momentum is real. And, and as you get rolling, just like anything, just on Instagram, uh, you know, the bigger you get, the easier it becomes to grow. It's still going to come in fits and spurts, uh, but, you know, it it is uh, something that's going to take time. So don't get discouraged. Just keep keep plugging away. You might if you've got 15 videos out there, 20 videos and you're still under 500 subscribers. Don't give up. I mean, look at what you're doing and get better. Don't give up. Yeah, it's the made for profit way. Buckle in, get ready for the long haul. We're not 
YouTube is not a short play. You're not going to go viral and become some phenomenon. Like this isn't the uh, makeup tutorial or, you know, humor space. <laughs> yeah. This is, this is a long, long play. So yeah. um, hope this conversation helps. If you guys have any questions, make sure you're hitting us up in the show notes as well as on, uh, on social. We've got an amazing group on um, Instagram at made for profit to keep up with all of what's going on in the daily, as well as engage with our entire community. Um, head on over there and make sure you're following along. That is that is some of the most awesome stuff that we can see happening um, in this entire spectrum of what's going on. And make sure that you're joining our Facebook group over on Facebook at groups, excuse me, facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash made for profit tribe, where you can get all kinds of information going on. Um, I think we're about, um, we're close to a thousand people in the group. Now yeah. it is a private group a and the conversations group. are absolutely incredible. We're seeing a lot of people building um, friendships and relationships and business relationships and starting new things and, you know, purging old things and getting better. And it's unbelievable over there. Absolutely. And check out, uh, do go to those show notes at madeforprofit.com forward slash episode 60. Um, and we'll have some links to all this stuff that we're talking about, uh, as well as to the patron site, which we talked about at the beginning of the show. And we're going to go ahead into our after show now. So uh, we will catch you guys on the next episode. Let's go crush this after show, John. Let's do it. Let's do it.